Greetings and welcome to Outlaw Gamer Radio, the official podcast of OutlawGamers.com. This is the show where we live to play and play to live. I'm Brent Adams, joined by a man who has an entirely different idea from Samsung about what he's going to experience in Milk VR. Mr. Lauren Baumgarten, Lauren! <laughs> Can I tell you how hard it is for me when you're doing the new intro and you say Outlaw Gamer Radio and OutlawGamers.com not to just, not to just yell like, woot, 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 woot. Yeah, you know, if, uh, if, you were, uh, if you were any I'm kind excited, of man... I'm excited, Brent. If you were any kind of man, you'd just bust out a falcon cry right there and, you know... <laughs> not tell me later that you were <laughs> thinking about busting out a falcon cry. Listen, uh, just so you know, uh, caw caw is not how you do the falcon cry. Uh, that's that's my. Uh, next time we get Daniel part. on the show, I'll 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 hook you up with him. He can he can show you how to do a fucking falcon. Uh, cry, first of all, don't ever hook me up with Daniel. But <laughs> it's uh, uh, maybe one of the funniest parts of Arrested Development. And I can't leave out the part that yes, I do have an entirely different idea as to what Milk VR is going to be. Considering uh, maybe that you originally wrote this in the doc as Milf. VR, <laughs> maybe, <laughs> maybe one of the worst consumer product names I've ever heard of. I, I, I think we have a pretty clear idea of what you're expecting Milk VR to be. That's, you know, <laughs> that's exactly that's right. all I'm saying. That's so, exactly right. Well, uh, welcome, Brent, to episode two of Outlaw Gamer Radio. Yes, indeed. I'm very excited to be here with you. Um, I am uh, as well, we man. should. Uh, it, it, the last first show went well. I thought we had a, um, uh, I had a couple of issues with my microphone, which was no fun, and we got it out a day late because of some of the new. Uh, RSS, you know, setting up all the feeds and stuff, but yep. uh, it is out there and we're excited about it. We are recording uh, now the second episode with the caveat, y'all should know, that we're recording it a little bit early because I, at the time this is released, will be on vacation in Rio de Janeiro. Um, so we had to record a little bit early, um, but uh, we're excited to be here for episode two of Outlaw Gamer Radio, and I'm excited actually, uh, I should say actually, like usually I'm not, I'm excited about uh, what we're going to talk about in the show this week. I am as well, and uh, we'll get to that in just a second, but just one programming note, Lauren mentioned the RSS feed, and many of you have uh, been asking about the same thing, wondering, uh, this show is going to, uh, it, it is going to be a, on a new RSS feed, so if you're listening to this uh, on outlawgamers.com, just to look, I, I'm, I'm planning on adding a little widget to the site that'll show all the various places that you can follow the show. Uh, we are going to be on iTunes, so you can get us through uh, through your podcasting app on your iOS device. Uh, but uh, anyway, the point is that uh, all that should be op- up and running uh, very, very shortly. Now that uh, now that the first episode is uh, is out of the way, is officially in the feed, we can actually submit the feed to all these places, and then hopefully, uh, hopefully, make it easier for you guys to find us. So anyway, that's uh, that's the skinny there. Now on to the meat and potatoes. Uh, so first up in the garage this week, we got a a news story. Uh, this uh, comes to us from A.A. Ron B., uh, who's a listener over at OutlawGamers.com, and this was, uh, this was in the activity feed. And it's uh, good news for Sony, is what it is. Uh, PlayStation 4 sales, Sony has announced, have topped 18.5 million units uh, after the... Uh, this is as, as of January 4th, 2015, so this is, this is with their, their big holiday push. Um, according to... Um, According to PlayStation uh, Japan, uh, Sony overall CEO Kaz Hirai 
says that, quote, this is a remarkable success for this next generation console and actually exceeding the rate of adoption of other PlayStation platforms to date. So according to Sony, PlayStation 4 adoption is even faster than the PlayStation 2, which, of course, is uh, the best-selling home video game console in history. So not looking too bad for Sony. What do you think, Lauren? Well, not looking too bad for Sony, or as you said, good news for Sony, if, for example, your network uh, actually works. But when it doesn't, <laughs> you, you have just that many more pissed-off customers, I suppose, don't you? Um, no, it, it is good news. It, it more, more than just good news for Sony, uh, which it is, of course, it's good news for our industry. I think that uh, yeah. uh, it's, it's very, very exciting to know that uh, the adoption rate is so high, and I think it's going to, I think it bodes well for everybody, Microsoft included, uh, Steam included, you know, yeah. gaming is continues to gain momentum and, and gain, uh, gain steam as we move. Despite you know, the fact that we were assured that gamers were over, you know, just a few short months ago. <laughs> That's uh, it right. Turns out not so much. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's great news. I'm a big fan. I have a PlayStation 4. I'm a big fan of it. Uh, I know there have been issues. I don't have an Xbox One yet. I don't know uh, if I will end up getting one this generation or not. Um, but as I said, um, uh, it's it, it's uh, it's good news for everybody, and, I, and I'm happy for Sony. I enjoy the product uh, when it's working, and... Um, uh, you know, good good news all the way around. I hope it continues that way. I agree. And uh, speaking of uh, some more Sony good news, well, I mean, we, uh, no, this is we, we presume. What do you we, mean? Well, we presume it's good news, but of course uh, it's good news. How can it not be good news? We've got some details on Uncharted Four. Uh, Lauren, why don't you uh, run? Why don't you run through that for us? That is good news. Yes, uh, it was revealed recently that Game Informer, as has uh, been the norm lately, is doing month-long coverage on a specific game, and this month that coverage is on the upcoming uh, Sony-exclusive Uncharted 4, which uh, I couldn't be more excited about. And we got some story details uh, in this story uh, in February's issue of Game Informer. Uh, they're Game Informer's sort of typical month-long hub is up and running over at GameInformer.com. I think it's GameInformer.com slash Uncharted 4. Um, but uh, and today they just put up some screenshots, which were nice. But uh, we have some story details revealed, as well as a confirmation that there will be multiplayer in Uncharted Four, yeah. which uh, comes as no surprise. They didn't yeah, reveal any details. No big shot. Yeah, it, not really a big a surprise. But uh, it is confirmed that there will be multiplayer. Uh, what we did learn about. Um, Uncharted 4, and there are some potential Uncharted 3 spoilers here if you've not played that game. Uh, so just consider yourself forewarned. All right. La, um, la, 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 Please, yes. Continue yeah. to do that through this whole time. This whole segment. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way you gain uh, listeners right there. <laughs> that's, that's, just, that's just good radio is what that, that is. is. That's just, just good radio. That's just, um, just good practice. <laughs> Edward R. Murrow is just rolling in his grave. Um, uh, so... At the end of Uncharted 3, Nathan and Elena uh, get married. They don don their wedding rings. Uh, they don't actually show the, the marriage. But uh, in Uncharted the, 4 takes place... was the point that they had actually kind of been married and then split up and they were kind of recommitting to each bit, other? I'm sorry, yes. Yeah, yeah, I apologize. And uh, Uncharted 4 takes place three years what after... What kind of Uncharted the, fan are you? <laughs> I know, terrible. I only played through Uncharted 3 once. I'm waiting for the HD remaster. Oh, um, me too. Um... Which, goddammit, they better do. I, and this is what I, I hope that we hear some news in this month, that they're going to do like a remaster, and for 60 bucks you can get the first three games remastered oh, in HD. God, that would um, be so good. 
Uh, so Uncharted Four take we now know takes place three years after the end of Un- the end of Uncharted Three. Nathan Drake's brother, who was revealed to us, Sam, uh, played by Troy Baker, was revealed to us uh, just about a month ago in their 15 minutes of gameplay that they released. Uh, we we now know that uh, Sam was supposed to be dead. Uh, going into Uncharted 4 and he sort of shows up surprisingly of course to Drake and and Elena and uh, and, uh, and says that he is trying to find some pirate treasure on a fictional island set in uh, Madagascar Madagascar. and and, uh, off goes Nathan and I would assume Elena at some point Uh, off goes Nathan Drake to help his brother find the pirate booty before their uh, rivals uh, I can't remember the names off the top of my head of uh, um, Libertania, Libertaria is the name of the, the mythical pirate colony in Madagascar. Uh, and then Rafi, I think Rafi, R-A-F-E, and Nadine uh, are the uh, rivals that are trying to get to the treasure first. And so uh, adventure ensues while Sam and Nathan Drake uh, try and get to the treasure before Rafi and Nadine. And so uh, so just basic story details, but still very exciting. And uh, I, I don't know, man, I'm, I, I'm starting to get the fever again. Well, you know, and for good reason. I mean, uh, Naughty Dog has delivered time and time and time again when it comes to this series, and have built. I mean, you know, they've built not just not just a you know a great series of games, but I mean, they've they've built a franchise that, in many ways, defines you know what the what Sony consoles are and, and what people expect from them and so forth. Uh, also, I think you know there is almost a fetishistic kind of uh, fascination with putting Troy Baker and Nolan North into games together. Mm-hmm. Um, they both have such amazing gravitas, and and obviously are you know have, have turned out really remarkable performances in in myriad titles, and uh, you know they they do they do some stuff together. Obviously, in in Shadow of Mordor, they play opposite each other. Uh, I don't think they actually have any scenes together in uh, in The Last of Us. And if you haven't played The Last of Us, I'm not going to tell you what character Nolan North plays, but. Um, Let's just say he's got a cameo in that game somewhere. But uh, anyway, having them uh, having them play brothers opposite each other, I, I think is really cool. And I think we didn't we talk about the whole connection with like Indiana Jones and Tom Selleck, and how I always thought it'd be cool mm-hmm. if like Tom Selleck were like Indiana Jones's brother secretly. Anyway, you know, yeah. it's 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 cool. I, I I really I have to say that on top of all the gameplay stuff that I'm sure is going to be amazing. You, you know how you just have like you know like kind of favorite actors. You're like, oh my god, like it would be amazing to see. You know this actor doing, you know this kind of movie or playing this kind of character, you know something like that. I have to admit that that in that same way, I'm looking forward to the performances from uh, from Nolan North and and Troy Baker in this. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Well, and you know what else I'm really excited about, Brent is is, is Uncharted is so much about the relationships. I think the the play between sure. uh, Nathan Drake and um, uh, Scully. Uh, Sully Scully <laughs> Nathan Drake and, uh, and it's really it's a crazy like X-Files Nathan, crossover Nathan, you haven't Nathan Drake's it's DLC Anderson it's DLC what? it's, it's going to be great uh, the, the, the relationship between Nathan Dr- the next Uncharted <laughs> game is the as the saucy femme fatale that's right uh, the relationship between uh, him and Sully the relationship between him and Elena obviously I mean these are these are what make uh, Uncharted so great and so I'm I'm very excited to see them explore this relationship not only to sort of as you said uh, highlight the the marquee double billing of, of Troy Baker and uh, Nolan North of course but just the idea of the brothers as well I think is a really interesting one and, and uh, I'm intrigued by it and I can't I just I can't wait to see more on it 
All right. One thing that uh, I can't wait to stop seeing more on is Don. <laughs> I was curious how you were going to feel um, about this. We've got six minutes of gameplay uh, from CES uh, of uh, of Dying Light, and yep. it's uh, it's not the greatest quality. It's it's you know it's somebody holding a camera off screen, but even despite the quality, I think that you can get a sense uh, of. Uh, the fact that the game does look quite good. Of course, it's running on PC here, um, but uh, does look quite good. And yet, uh, I, I have to say, I, I was so turned off by the story trailer that that we had a good laugh at. Uh, I think that was on the last episode of the Axe Factor when we were hanging with Tony and Daniel. Yeah. But um, I, I was so I was so turned off by the story trailer. That uh, I really haven't recovered any momentum of enthusiasm for this yet. Uh, what about you, man? Are you uh, yeah? Are you looking forward to this? So, I mean, this game comes out in a couple of weeks. It's supposed to be a big title. It comes from uh, a couple, you know, fairly well pedigreed teams, and and uh, you know, people who know <laughs> shit about parkour and zombies and putting them together. There's essentially like a couple major parts to a video game such as this, right? Like story and gameplay and uh, we kind of talked about how we felt about the story trailer, and so you think, okay, but you know, if the gameplay is there, then yeah. it doesn't like Shadow of Mortar for me is a classic example of that. Um, Don't give a shit about the story, uh, love the gameplay. Didn't get, I couldn't couldn't have cared less about the story personally. Yeah, uh, but the gameplay was so compelling that I absolutely loved it. And I kind of agree. And uh, uh, but. Dude, I, this this I, I you know the truth is is I don't know how much you watched or didn't watch, but at the point I when you and I thing, spoke, buddy. I you and I spoke whole sh- burrito, and you said, "Hey, I haven't watched this trailer yet. I got to watch it before we record." And I said, "Just so you know, you probably only have to watch the first couple of minutes because I don't think your opinion is going to change as you watch the rest of it." And and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but mine certainly didn't. And no. and uh, it just. Uh, it just, I, you know, I, I hate to be disrespectful because there's so many men and women who put so much blood, sweat, and tears into making something like this for so long. But the fact is, is that there's just almost nothing about watching this gameplay video that was in any way compelling to me. And, and it was really topped off at the end by the guy standing around waiting for the clock to count down. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. Uh, but, you know, in, in fairness to them, I, I will say this. Well, okay, number one, there's nothing wrong with you saying... There's nothing here for me, you know, because maybe this game is just not going to be your cup of tea, and and that's fine. I mean, right. and you know, the the men and women who do this are men and women and capable of capable of you know of understanding that they're not going to make a game that everybody in the world can love. Um, but number two, I will I will say in their defense that what is so boring about this may have less to do with their game and may have more to do with uh, the person who's playing it. And perhaps the person who's playing it is doing or a, the part an incredibly shitty playing. job at playing this game. Or, like you said, you know, maybe it's that this particular part of the game uh, is not all that exciting. Although that is definitely on the developers, because if you're going to be showing off your brand new AAA game at CES, you probably want to have the demo be something pretty exciting. But um, in any case, you know, I can give them the benefit of the doubt a little bit on this. And like I said, I- I'll-, I'll give them props on the technical aspects of the, of the game as-, as I see it. But it's just not a game for me. There's just there's just nothing here that has gotten me excited about playing it. I, yeah, but it goes I, beyond. I, I will grant it, them that I I think that for this for this genre for this style of game, I think that the weapon customizations that uh, that they've shown off and, and the the potential of the of their weapon customization system, I think that that probably could add enough depth of gameplay that uh, 
you could probably have fun with this even if you didn't care about the incredibly shitty story. Yeah, maybe. I just, you know, and there were some interesting weapons, but even if this guy is playing, and I'm not, I'm not like seeking to bash the game, but even if this guy I was am. playing a, not I'm, a great I'm, portion, I'm, I'm of course you are. In the, in the even, even if he's not playing a, like a, a compelling portion of the game or he's not playing it well, just the AI and, and the, the combat itself looked uninteresting. It just didn't, lo- it didn't look like it was engaging to him even. You know, at some point he just kind of stopped fighting because it looked like it wasn't even fun. And the way I, I, I don't know, it just it the, 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 the I, I don't know, and, and perhaps like really, it's more it's supposed to be about exploration during the day, and more about the fighting and the fear at night because I know there's a whole night component to it. And yeah. So I'll, I'll reserve judgment, but uh, but again, I continue to see sort of nothing from the media that's put out there that is compelling to me personally, mate. That's making me want to sort of you know get the game. I, I think that, I think that that's a, that's a good point. I'm going to kind of take a take a page from your playbook. I am also going to reserve judgment. Except I hate it. (laughs) Welcome back, everybody. We're here in the clubhouse. We're going to kick things off with the first weekly poll uh, in Outlaw Gamer Radio history. Of course, uh, if you listen to that, that other little show that we did for 185 episodes, this is no surprise to you. But... With that having been said, we're going to do it with all the plum and zazz that we can muster. And so for that, we go to our man in the field, Mr. Lauren Baumgarten, who is on location to share his poll with us. Lauren. And has neither plum nor zazz. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Brent, we got a poll this week. Now, I I do have to preface this again with the fact that we're recording this show early. So these are these would be sort of early election results, if you will. That's right. Um, This could very well by the the time the show. Yes, so uh, this may or may not be representative of the final product of the poll, uh, but we want to run through it anyway. And Brent threw up a poll from uh, based on episode 001 of Outlaw Gamer Radio uh, talking about episodic game content. And we asked you guys, what's your take on episodic game content these days? And Brent gave you four answers to choose from. And so far, this is how this is shaken out. Uh, coming in in fourth place is I love it, always have. Tied for second place, I guess, Brent, when yeah. they're tied like this. There's no third, I guess. That's right. Um, are the answers, I'm waiting to be impressed, and I don't hate it, but I feel like kicking it a little. <laughs> um, <laughs> I love it when your answers make you laugh, Brett. <laughs> That's, it's the little things. It's, it's the, the little, little things. things. You gotta get. Uh, and then the number one answer so far, uh, at least, uh, which is to say four people chose it. Uh, just kidding. It is more than that. Um, is I gave it a shot. It's not my flavor. So it sounds like kind of right now, anyway, in, in the early exit polling results, that uh, most people are sort of middle on the ro- in the middle of the road. Uh, on this subject, there are a couple that kind of like it, and and uh, but most people aren't really uh, enjoying episodic content. There were a couple uh, people who pointed out other episodic content games for us in the comments section, including things like um, commenting on how we're still waiting for quote unquote episode two of Broken Age, uh, mm-hmm. and you know commenting on like Half Life Two episodes. And yeah. m- my response to that is I, I don't. I don't even think of those as episodic games, either one of those, and where technically they're supposed to be. Yeah. Um, and they're so, like, not episodic that I don't consider them episodes, and I don't think that's uh, all that uncommon either. So it sounds like right now uh, the pulse of the gaming nation, as, as we know it, uh, is that maybe episodic content isn't the way to go, but that doesn't mean there isn't a place for it in the future, Brent. 
That's true. That's true. So moving on to uh, this week's topic, of course. Yes. As many of you are aware. Tech, 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 tech. It's, uh, it's CES. And while CES has not been the central bastion of, uh, of gaming as far as trade shows are concerned in a couple of decades, nonetheless, gaming did get its start there. And, uh, and gaming still has a bit of a foothold insofar as hardware is concerned, I would say mostly. Uh, but CES this year has uh, several items that I think are going to be of interest uh, to gamers. So uh, we thought we would sit down and run through uh, some of the uh, some of the big highlights. Now, once again, uh, recording the show early, it's entirely possible that, uh, that there's going to be some more breaking news before this is over. And if so, we'll cover it next week. But uh, we've already got a chock-a-block section full of uh, some rather interesting things. So we're going to kick things off, I think, with uh, one of the more one of the more exciting developments. Which is that uh, Nvidia? They revealed the Tegra X1, which is uh, a new mobile chip. With I, I mean, it's just this thing can this thing can eat grass and shit barbed wire or something. I mean, it is it's pretty ridiculous. It's got a teraflop of computing power. It's designed, you know, for for handhelds, for for tablets, mobiles. Low power consumption. It's, they're going to power a car with Cars. this goddamn thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. But anyway, the X1 uh, looks to be a, a pretty impressive uh, piece of uh, piece of hardware, and Nvidia showed uh, so showed some good demos uh, running on it. Lauren, what about you? I mean, you're a, you're you're a, you're a uh, I was gonna say that you, I was gonna say you're an Nvidia guy, but I, I stopped halfway through and realized like no, you're you're not. You're an AMD guy, aren't you? At least, at least currently, you yeah. I mean, your, I, uh, on your your gaming PC. No, I mean I, I am now. I'm not. I don't have a particular allegiance, and I and I've I've gone both ways. I'm not going to lie to you, Brent. Um, Listen, we, we, think, we all knew that already, buddy. I think the card I had before the this AMD might have been an Nvidia. I can't remember, but I, and I am yeah. considering an Nvidia when I go back to the states. You know, so I'm not. It's not like brand loyalty necessarily. It's just what happens to be the better card for the money at the time that I'm buying it, and uh, that just depends. But uh, and no, I, I love what Nvidia is doing, and I, and I love. Um, uh, the money they're investing in, uh, uh, not only in their chips, but but in their uh, gaming devices, you know, with the Shield and yeah. and stuff like that, and uh, the Nvidia Shield tablet, which uh, Aaron just got uh, and is really enjoying uh, the, the, as a gaming device. The Shield device. tablet does actually look quite cool. Yeah, he said it's it's super super cool, and so I really, you know, I I appreciate Nvidia's dedication uh, to gaming. I really really do. And this is this is you know you know what what really struck me as I was reading about this, Brent, is. That they, that uh, they said so. This is a um, uh, was it sixteen sixty four bit cores? It's eight. It's eight sixty four bit eight. CPUs and two hundred and fifty six GPU cores. Which I don't even understand what that means. Well, that can't be. That, what, that can't be what, what I think it means. What they say is that it'll deliver about. Basically, it's two hundred fifty six. It's two hundred fifty six Titans. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know where the Titan falls in terms of like its computational ability, but the Titan is the the highest end card that Nvidia has right now. I, I doubt it's two hundred fifty six <laughs> Titans, but uh, no, they're saying that it, you know not. it's going to be it's going to deliver twice the performance of the Tegra K one from last year. Right. And so wait, so before you say it though, this yeah. I want to say that the, the, so it is twice the performance of the K1. The, the the statistic that was so impressive to me is that 14 years later, 15 years I guess later at this point, um uh it is the equivalent of the the fastest most powerful supercomputer in existence in 2000. Yeah, so 14 years ago, most powerful supercomputer in the world. Fourteen years later, is, or fifteen it, years it, later, is now on a mobile chip. Is now on a mobile chip. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's that's 
that that is accurate and that I, uses 10 percent of the power i'm sorry to, so they said it used it uses they, they were showing a um uh, an Unreal Engine 4 demo, which they said it took 10 watts to power on this chip, yeah. and that I think it was, and I could be off my timing here, but just a year ago, it took their uh, video card 100 watts to power that, and a little bit longer than that, it took the Xbox 300 watts to power that, and now they've got Actually, this mobile chip. That's, that's reversed. The Xbox One was the one that it used 100 watts on the Xbox One, oh, sorry. Uh-huh. and then yep. prior to that, just like an NVIDIA PC GPU Use 300 watts. To, 300 uh, watts. And now they've right. got it down to 10 watts. And this thing is as powerful as, as the most powerful computer in the world in the year 2000, yeah. which is and insane to me. It, it, I mean, in all fairness, I mean, you know, they say that, like, you know, the, the, uh, the demo you're talking about is the, uh, the Unreal Engine 4 Elemental demo. And, yep. you know, it does not look as good on this chip as it did running on, you know, like, like a full PC game rig. But look damn good despite that. I, I mean, you know, there, there are you know there are certain things that it can't do quite as well or quite as fast as as you know the, the full on uh, the full on GPU in like the Xbox One or something like that. But uh, the fact that it's the fact that it is as close as it is in a mobile processor that can go into anything, just about. It's re- it's pretty ridiculous. It, it's well, pretty ridiculous. Brent, I mean, the fact is is that there's no reason to think with the with. Uh uh, you know, with the life cycle of the consoles now being somewhere between, say, six, seven, and ten years, yeah. that before we get to the end of the console, we will have probably not, like a couple of years before we get to the end of the console, we would have a chip that a mobile chip that is more powerful than the consoles themselves. Yeah, it's uh, uh, it, it, it's really not that it's not that difficult to see that day coming. I, I mean, you know, with you know Tony and I have talked about this a number of times. You know, with with every iteration. You know, iOS and Android phones, you know, you look at the graphics running on there and they seem to inch closer and closer and closer to what home consoles are doing. And because they do, as you're pointing out, because they iterate hardware on a yearly cycle, uh, you know, they, they evolve much, much quicker. So it's uh, it's pretty it's pretty interesting. It's going to be pretty it's amazing and to I, see where this goes. I really think, Brett, the implications from a gaming standpoint, at least for me personally, you know I'm not much of a mobile gamer. Yeah. I think the, a lot of the implications that we're going to see in the next, say, five years about this from a gaming standpoint will be less about, like, playing better games on a phone necessarily, as at least for, I think, are going to be... Um, in in putting them in other devices like a phone that, for example, can project a um, a light based keyboard or that can project onto a wall uh, or or something like that, or which we can you know kind of segue this into the next device, uh, virtual reality. That is an excellent segue because, as it turns out, our next story is about VR. Lauren, amazing. Go, fi- go figure. Uh, so Razer. Uh, of course, if you're a PC gamer, you know Razer all too well. Uh, make uh, expensive uh, PC peripherals, uh, of which I own more than three. And uh, Razer is getting into uh, really. The VR I don't think game. I was aware of that. Well, I, I got a mouse, a keyboard, and two headsets. So anyway, the uh, point yeah. though is this: uh, Razer's getting into the VR game. They have revealed their OS VR dev kit, and don't you want to know what OS VR stands for? Razer sure wants you to. It's open source virtual reality which uh razor is really hoping is going to kickstart not in the uh not in the the trademarked crowdfunding sense but they're really hoping that uh, osvr is going to give vr in general a swift kick in the pants and uh, and get it moving down the road and evolving 
and really turn it into a viable ecosystem. They say that they're kind of frustrated with the state of VR as it exists right now, this uh, closed model of, of prototype and, and developers, and they want to see VR out in the wild being developed actively by the VR community who they think is going to have the ability to solve a lot of these problems that uh, up until now, companies like Oculus have basically been tackling on their own. And also to uh, to figure out best practices and find new and innovative ways of integrating existing hardware to make VR an even better experience moving forward. So, with that in mind, they have revealed the uh, the Razer OS VR Dev Kit. It's uh, going to be uh, it's going to be coming out uh, for public consumption in what June this year? I want to say. Yeah, I think it was. I think that's right. Yeah, June two thousand fifteen. And uh, they've uh, they've also got uh, some some de- there's some development stuff what they're calling the uh, the OSVR ecosystem, and uh, that's going to be uh, that's I think that's currently uh, that's currently in beta or you know currently just going to devs. That's also going to be available uh, to the to the world at large later this year. Um, so uh, so what the, what they're showing off at uh, at CES is uh, the OSVR hacker dev kit, which is their VR hardware. Uh, it's a set of goggles. It's got similar specs to uh, to the Oculus in in many ways. It's got a smaller screen, five point five inch compared to the uh, to the Oculus is seven. But other than that, field of view resolution, uh, those are pretty comparable. Um, Lawrence, as you're the the one of us that has actually used VR, uh, I'm curious to know uh, what, what do you think about this? I, I, I I I I don't think that you you would be necessarily jumping to buy this per se, but I am kind of curious about the experiences you've had so far and what do you think about Razer's strategy with OSVR? Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm not so sure that it's a I'm not so sure it is a strategy necessarily. I I'm unclear as to uh in in, in the context of a strategy for them. I, I'm unclear, you know, I'm unclear as to whether or not there there's a long-term um, intent to try and, and make themselves money on this. Um, I, I think it's uh, look. Li- listen, any, anything that I think is jumping into the VR space like this, especially from a company as reputable as Razer, I, I think has value okay. and it pushes VR forward and brings us closer to consumer virtual reality, which I'm hoping we're going to actually be entering into at the the holidays of this year. That's my hope. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that this is a good thing. From what we saw, there's I, I think uh, there's an IGN video, uh, you know, with, where they go hands on with it. And they, they describe it as very similar to the Oculus experience, but not quite as high quality. Um, however, they describe the fact that you know th- the idea is like they had a leap motion sensor plugged directly into uh, the OSVR dev kit, and it worked very very well. Um, and the idea is you could plug sort of almost anything into it. That's the open source aspect of this. I think it's interesting in that I don't. I've never thought of uh, Oculus as a closed source platform. I mean, they're very open source in terms of uh, their ecosystem. Um, certainly, they are working on their own methodologies. For example, to to uh, they have their own research going on around, for example, input devices. Uh, but they're not stopping other people from doing it, and their software and hardware uh, is not necessarily closed and so I, I'm a little unclear as to what Razer's dev kit offers it's cheaper it's $199 so yeah I mean I, so I'm not 100% sh- sure um, 
I mean, I, I, I'm, look, I'm sure this will be bought. And like I said, it's cheaper. It might offer some more versatility that I, this is, this is really, really developer centric. I mean, the, certainly the Oculus Rift, um, dev kits, they're called dev kits, are also developer centric, but people like myself bought them because they were sort of the first on the market. Uh, at this point, I, I can't see any consumer buying this. Uh, I can't see why any consumer would necessarily buy this device. This is really developer-centric, and I'm sure developers would buy it, and I'd love to see Razer um, getting behind it. And frankly, if it pushes Oculus even harder towards a consumer release, I still think Oculus is really going to be first to market uh, with their device in, in, in a way that uh, a, a level of polish that other companies don't have quite yet. Uh, we're seeing more of it. You saw, Brent, I think at CES, the uh, I, I can't was it Sony? I can't remember who has that virtual theater, basically. Um, yeah, I haven't but, seen that. But uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's essentially like headphones that you can swing down and put in front of your eyes, and it's a virtual reality theater. It just doesn't necessarily play games. Right. Um, we're seeing more VR stuff, and more VR stuff is good, and more VR stuff puts pushes VR forward, uh, and so that's a good thing. Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree. I think that uh, you know, I I think that. Market competition is uh, is a fantastic driving force for uh, innovation, and I think that uh, other people getting into the space is only going to be a good thing. I I, I think that uh, that Razer going you know open source with theirs, as you point out, perhaps not quite as big a deal right now because Oculus has been uh, you know so kind of open with their their hardware and software up to this point. Although the simple fact is that you know that can change any time. And uh, and perhaps you know once they once they actually start releasing consumer hardware, perhaps you know it will become kind of a more closed thing. But uh, I think it's uh, I think it's an interesting move by Razer. I think that they are actually probably in a pretty good uh, space to uh, to get in on this, given that they do have uh, so much experience with hardware uh, and manufacturing. So. I think that uh, it uh, it'll just it'll kind of remain to be seen what what ultimately happens uh, from this. But I- I'm excited for it. I- I'm excited to see uh, other companies get into the VR space because it, you know it only as you, as you were kind of saying you know with PlayStation uh, in that uh, that story at the top of the show uh, it, it's not just good for the people you know who might you know have this hardware and use it or whatever. It's good for the entire. It's good for the entire market. It's good for the entire VR ecosystem. And I, like you, am very, very anxious to uh, see that realized, particularly where it concerns its potential for gaming. Yeah, I agree 100%. And that, that kind of brings us to one of our other things that was announced or talked about more during CES. It's actually been uh, known about for a little while, but it was really sort of the coming out party here at CES. Was Samsung Gear VR's Milk VR. Yeah, not Milf uh, VR. Which, Although in hindsight, which I think, you know, maybe they should have gone your way. Because that that, that'll, that'll sell some VR right there. Let me tell that you. That will sell some VR. This is, uh, this is Samsung Gear VR's uh, VR storefront. Yeah. Uh, again, I, I'm, I'm really unsure about the name. I, I'm not sure no, why they it's, chose it's this. One of, it's absolutely one of the worst names that's ever ever been devised by anyone for anything. It's a yeah, terrible, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand it, but it's, you can go to milk, MilkVR.com is, is up now. There's nothing on it, but uh, supposedly, so, so uh, Samsung's Gear VR is, is the Oculus Rift, uh, Oculus's partnership with Samsung to create a mobile VR. John Carmack did a ton, a ton of work on, 
on uh, on getting this to work, and it's supposed to be a very compelling experience. It's a VR headset in which you take the uh, Samsung Galaxy Note 4, and it only works with the Note 4, uh, and you can plop it into this VR headset, and you have a, a mobile VR experience. It's supposed to be very, very compelling. Um, this is their virtual storefront, where apparently they're doing a lot of uh, um, 360 VR cinema, uh, and uh, t- and to the point of the creators of Walking Dead are, are producing content yep. uh, for Milk VR, which I think is all of this again is just excellent, excellent news for VR. These giant companies uh, getting behind it, and I could not be more excited about it. I agree with you. I think that despite the terrible name, and and incidentally, they have other. There's like like Milk. I can't remember what the name of it, you know, but like Milk Music or something. But they've got like other services like in the Milk family. If you can hear the air quotes, family, you know, devoted to, you know, like, uh, you know, delivering, I don't know, like music, movies and TV and stuff like that. So it's not like they haven't had time to figure out what an awful, terrible name this is. But anyway, that having been said, um, do they do they in Spanish speaking countries? Is it called Leche TV? You know, if I lived in a Spanish speaking country, I might be the person to ask that question. But since you're the person living in South America, maybe you can ask somebody that lives closer to you. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not anywhere near. I'm not near a Spanish-speaking country. No, unfortunately, well, as, as I mean, I'm big, closer than you are. As big as, actually, that's as not big true. As Brazil is. No, you're. You are to hell and gone. We, we we may be equidistant. Actually, you may be as close to Mexico <laughs> as I am to say oh, Argentina. Oh come on, Colombia and Paraguay. That's just like a stone's throw from you. Uh, no, actually, I'm very far from Colombia, but I'm pretty close to uh, to um, Argentina. But I don't yeah. know. Maybe. Yeah. No. Anyway, so yeah. So terrible. Terrible name. But over. The point is. Yes, <laughs> and I am excited about uh, content because that's the thing. You know, the, the VR hot, the, the VR hardware. This is one thing that Tony always says, and uh, and despite the fact that uh, despite the fact that I disagree with Tony uh, every time he opens his mouth, most of the time, not really. <laughs> yes. But uh, but he he is right to point out that the hardware in and of itself is is fine, and it's you can get excited about you know the the technological advancement or you know innovation that's occurring. But ultimately, as a successful business venture, the hardware uh, isn't jack shit without the content. You've got to have content for any of this to really matter and to, uh, to grow and move forward. And I'm you ex- absolutely do, Brent. I'm excited. But I will say... Somebody's doing content. That's great. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. And, I, and you absolutely do have to have content. I will say for... For once you tried VR, I think your perspective shifts a little bit, and you recognize it. Your perspective there was shifts nothing, in VR. <laughs> oh, you get God. it. You get it. Oh, that's terrible. Well, I we're trying to. We got. We're trying to channel DK a little bit. Fine. With that, let's move on from VR. Let's, let's I will be curious, Jesus. Brent. I will be curious to see next year, one year from now, when we're looking at CES, what the VR conversation will be, and we'll have to remember to sort of reflect back upon that. Um, next up, Brent, is something that that uh, I think is. Uh, pretty interesting. Uh, I think it has the potential to be very interesting. I, I, this is probably Although, the thing I am personally most excited about from what we've talked about so far. Oh well, so I'm curious to hear why. And I don't know. Did you watch the promo video at the bottom of this article? No, I, I haven't. I haven't yet. I, I've only read about it uh, up till now. I haven't watched any media on it. But so the potential. And let's just go ahead and say it rather than burying the lead. What we're talking about is the Razor Forge. TV, which was uh, a, yep. yet another piece of hardware announced from Razer at CES, and uh, go go ahead, Lauren. Why don't you why don't you run down what it uh, what it is and what it can do? 
Well, essentially, and I'm curious to hear, Brent, what you think is compelling about this device, but essentially, it's a $150 set-top box that looks like about the size of an external hard drive, yeah. um, and, and the, it, it seems to me to be a combination of like a Roku box, the Ouya, and a Steam, uh, a Steam box, yeah. sort of. Yeah. Um, I mean, the, the sort of the three big features well, are that it plays Android games. hardware, yes. Right, right, right. So, the, so, the, so the big, the the big sort of three about it is that it plays Android games natively, um, yep. and uh, to buy. I'm sorry, I should uh, uh, restate this pricing structure. It's a hundred dollars for the box, and then you could buy for fifty bucks a controller. You could buy instead. They have a they have a really interesting looking laptop, uh, uh, laptop um, keyboard and mouse setup. Um, when I say laptop, I mean it lays across your lap, not like a laptop computer. Um, that I think is about 50 bucks also. And so, uh, so natively it plays Android games. Uh, the, uh, it like a Roku box or whatever. It's got all your sort of standard Netflix, Amazon TV, yeah. streaming type it, services. It's, Hulu. it's an Android TV device, but it also, uh, it, it also stream will stream your games from your PC to your television with the addition with the games of, of, a, of another piece of hardware. That's $40 called the cortex. Uh, it's called like the cortex stream. Oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, so you need another. So what I saw, you need another and, piece of hardware. What I saw, that, though. Okay, so the, what I saw, and the reason I was going to ask you about what was compelling about this to you was if what's compelling about this to you is the same about, is what's compelling to me, which is the PC streaming piece of yeah. it. Uh, the other pieces to me, uh, again, I could not care less. I really couldn't possibly care less about playing Android games on my television than I do right now, yeah. and I can't see a, a, a case in which that will ever. Uh, and not be uh, not be the case, but uh, as far as the set top box stuff goes, like the Roku, the Hulu, the Amazon, it, it is it is a a requirement in my opinion for any device like this. But it is again couldn't be less compelling because I've got seven things already that do that, including the Chromecast, which is thirty bucks. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think that you know, it, it's one of those things. Like it's not gonna it's not going to be very disruptive in that space. Although for people who might be looking to get a new piece of hardware or who don't have you know some kind of smart TV hardware already connected to their television, like over Christmas as an example, like I got uh, both the both Zeely's grandparents, my my parents and my wife's parents. Uh, I, I got them both an Apple TV so that they can uh, they can use that to watch the photo stream that uh, that we have set up for Zeely that you know we every day we send pictures and videos that we take of her up to that photo stream and that way they can look at them on their TV and you know all that kind of stuff. But for both families, that's the first smart device that uh, that they have. I think that right, but those, know, that's not an audience for this device. No, no, anyway. no, no. I mean, in my, terms my of point the, is that it, it's going to be fine for that. Like you know, you're definitely going to be able to get it for like that purpose, and it's going to be great. Whatever. I agree with you on the on the Android gaming thing. I think the Ouya has demonstrated, I, I think quite well, you know, what you can do with games in that space, and I, I think that the Ouya has done it, you know, pretty well. It's just that they've not necessarily been all that successful at doing it. So right now, I don't think there's much of a market for that, despite the fact that having a Razer manufactured controller, uh, that I'm a little bit more interested in because the the Ouya controller is not fantastic. But right. PC streaming, yeah. So with right. with this device, that's something I'm interested in. It is interesting because, and we've talked about this before, Brent. I mean, it's when you when you start looking at just a strict cost comparison, and you talk about somebody like myself, for example, who wants to have a PC gaming uh, option to play with my like you know to play with my PC gaming buddies and to play if my wife wants to watch a TV yep. kind of thing, uh, but also. Um, 
wants to have a console experience for when I feel like sitting on the couch, this is an ideal product for me because uh, it, it could theoretically replace a console at that point. I, I might consider not getting a console if I could have a compelling experience. Yeah. Right, because when you look at it from a financial standpoint, you know, if you already have a computer, you know, say you're going to spend 600 bucks on a computer, uh, sort of like regular off-the-shelf Dell, for another 300 bucks, you could have a pretty good gaming computer if you can get someone to build it for you. Uh-huh. Um, and then you invest in this thing, and all your games are 10 bucks cheaper because you buy them on the PC platform, yep. uh, and you ha- now can play them on multiple platforms. I think uh, that's very compelling. The, the, uh, it's super compelling. The one thing, Brandon, the reason I asked you if you had watched the video was because in the video, when they get to that part of the device, it says coming soon. Yeah, well, and obviously uh, obviously there's, there's a couple of different things that have to kind of work for this to be a compelling experience. And if you go to uh, if you go to Racer's web webpage, they've got uh you know, they've got like a little infographic, they've got a sheet and everything that kind of tells you what it is that that they're doing differently that the other guys aren't. And essentially this Cortex stream uh this box that you get that it's like 40 bucks or whatever that you uh, that that plugs up to your PC and then communicates over Wi-Fi with the uh with the Forge TV that's, you know, wherever your television is. And uh, those two are going to talk to each other over your Wi-Fi network. And what Razer is touting is that they've got a proprietary, uh, they've got a proprietary system uh, that they don't they don't specify except to say that the other guys use H.264. So in theory, they've got some other kind of compression technique or something that they're using that is going to be sending uh, up to 1920 by 1080 video at up to 120 frames a second from your PC to your television and that, you know, the device, once it's on your Wi-Fi network, it's going to figure out everything about, you know, your, your setup and what the fastest, best quality it can deliver is. And then it's going to do that reliably. That's, that's the claim. So if they can, if they can make good on that though, then I think that they, they may really have, they may really have something because, you know, as we talked about going back to the steam machines, that was one of the things that we were most interested in. The idea that you could have a, a stream box connected to your TV that would make it very, very easy for you to have your PC wherever it's convenient in your home to have your PC, but be able to experience some of those games on the television and how some of those games are really, really best consumed on the television with a controller relaxing on the couch as opposed to at your, you know, at your desk. I, I think it's great. I really think it's a great option. As somebody who's really, really become enamored of PC gaming in recent years, uh, I'm excited to see somebody do that in a, uh, in a really reliable, high-quality way. So Razer getting into this space uh, with this device I, I think is a pretty exciting prospect, provided that it actually delivers what, the, what they're selling. I, I couldn't agree with you more, man. I think it's I, if it delivers that. I, this is I'm definitely in the market for this. There's no question. Me too. Yeah. And I think uh, uh, you know I'm, I'm excited to see uh, you know if it delivers what it says it's going to deliver. Unlike you know this show. <laughs> Welcome back, guys. We are rounding the final turn into the straightaway. We're hitting the road uh, with uh, the games that we've been playing this past week. I was about to say with what we've been playing. I don't know why I would have used that uh, that phrase. But anyway, um, <laughs> we're going to talk about uh, the games we've been playing, which uh, has not been an awful lot. Of course, for us, the week passed a lot more quickly than it did for you guys since we're recording this a little bit early. 
uh, as we've said many times now. Anyway, Lauren, uh, you're going to talk a little bit more about Dragon Age Inquisition, I'm sure. So uh, hit us up, man. What, what do you got? Well, as we said, we're recording this a little bit early. No, are we? Uh, <laughs> uh, so I haven't been playing much. I have been playing uh, the golf club a little bit, of course, uh, which should come as no surprise to you. Right. And by the right. way, for those of you in European territories, I, I did want to mention Wasn't there this. like a sale or something going on with that? There is a sale on the golf club until uh, until January twenty first, okay. and it's uh, it's this is insane to me. I told them not to do this. Actually, it's sixty percent off, seventy <laughs> percent. If you're uh, they if you're aren't a PS listening Plus to member. me, but that means great savings for you. <laughs> That's exactly Jesus. right. So if you ever consider getting the golf club, uh, you can play against me if you want to. Sixty to seventy percent off in the European territories. Uh, but anyway, so I've been playing the golf club uh, and totally enjoying it, of course. Uh, but mostly. I've been playing Dragon Age Inquisition, and uh, although I've only had enough time to play another three or four hours of the game uh, since our last show, uh, it's really starting to open up for me, Brent. I'm starting to get a bigger picture. I finally added, so you start off the game with four uh, party members, yourself included, Uh, so there's three other party members, uh, and you don't get to they go through the uh, mechanics of you selecting the party, but the reality is is there's no one else to choose. Well, I finally got to the point seven plus hours into the game for me uh, where I'm starting to add other party members and so I can choose other party members, which is awesome. Um, Does that, I mean, are you finding that that really like substantially, does it substantially change, I don't know, like how you feel about the game or or, or like how how the game, you know, kind of is to play? Well, it does in the context of... um, So I'm really starting to realize how robust the narrative is uh, in this game and how good the acting is. And there's a a whole race I hadn't unlocked yet, the Canari, uh, which is like the Giants race. It's interesting. Um, And I feel like the two two characters that I've unlocked to this point, which I'm 100% sure are probably... Well, they're probably pretty standard. You could choose not to bring them with you uh, or not to allow them to to work with the Inquisition. Like you actually get that binary choice when you encounter them. Um, have them join the Inquisition or tell them no. And I can't imagine why somebody would say no, because I don't get the sense that if you... I got the sense if you say no, they just go away. Like, it, it doesn't necessarily go down another story path. Yeah. And so why why wouldn't you just say yes so you have more options? But but either way, they're the first two people you have the option to add, and I chose to, add, to make them available, you know, and I chose to do so. Um, and I think they're much more interesting than the people that were in my party before. So... Um, from that standpoint, it adds to it. You can, uh, if you want to, you can spec out. Um, so, for example, I was a level six when I got these people, and they both, therefore, were level sixes, right? And so uh, when you get them, you then get all the, all the upgrade points you've had to this point, eight upgrade points. You could spec them out. You could pick a, a, a tree and spec them out in a completely different way. So, like, I had a mage in my party before who was a lot of frost stuff. I could have taken this new mage and made her all fire if I wanted to. Uh, so, in that sense, it could be compelling. I chose just to hit the auto spec button because I don't like to screw with that for every character in the game but my own. Okay. Um, and so... Um, yeah, it's interesting. It definitely has changed the tactics a little bit. Um, but I can see now that uh, there will be later in the game times when I go back and change my party and like I, really, like I spec out somebody who's really good at this or really powerful at that, and I will need to choose them for this kind of fight because that's a frost dragon, for example. Right. Um, which I don't even know if that's a thing. But, um, <laughs> you mean in this game? So I'm just general? making that shit up. Because <laughs> um, in general, so, I can assure you frost dragons aren't really a thing. 
Yes, no, they are. Um, so, uh, so uh, it will have new meaning. Animal but Planet series here, Finding Frost Dragon. So that's uh, so that's that. You know, that's been kind of cool. Um, I, I I play. I purposefully played with the tactical style of gameplay because I felt like I owed it to the game to do so. Um, and I could see where the enjoyment is there for people. I, I'm still preferring to play real time myself. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is I opened up, so there's two main halves of the map at this point in the game, uh, and, and maybe throughout the whole thing. There's Ferelden on one side and Orly on the other, I believe it's called. And I went and did my first mission on Orly, and, and uh, I'm now realizing like this, how ridiculously huge this game is. Um, the original area that I went into, the Hinterlands, uh, I thought was, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then there's like this coastal area that I thought was smaller, the Storm Coast. And it's, it's like way bigger than I thought it was going to be. This game is huge, huge. Um, and there's I mean, just something can, I was reading. like a comparison? I mean, like, as opposed, you know, like Grand Theft Auto V, Skyrim. I mean, you know, like how big are we talking? I, I, I don't know. I, I can't at this point. I mean, I feel like... I, it, it, that's tough. It's it's almost. I feel like it's almost like I, I would probably be more akin to say Mass Effect, okay. only because Mass Effect isn't like you know when you talk about things like GTA Five or or Skyrim, I feel like you're talking about like they talk in terms of square meters, yeah. right, uh, or square square Kilometers. miles or whatever kilometers. Um, Mass Effect, you, you don't talk in those terms because it doesn't make sense. Well, yeah, and, and I don't. It's not a. It's not like a linear open world. Right, and certainly Dragon Age is a linear open world, but I don't feel, I don't know, it's just, it's huge. I mean, I, I feel like it's Skyrim big, you know, like it feel. I don't even know at this point. Like you look at it on a map and it doesn't look that big, but then I get in it and I'm like, Jesus, this just keeps going and going and going and going. I want you to continue on, but uh, I just want to take a, a second to say that using the phrase linear comma open world may in fact be a, uh, that may be a contradiction. An oxymoron. It's possible. It's possible. Uh, I'm trying to decide if I agree with myself or not. Keep talking. Did I say linear open world? I said linear linear open world. No, yeah. Well, linear linear in the context. I don't think it's an oxymoron. You you don't experience it in a disjointed fashion where it takes you from location A, and then later on you kind of warp to location B, which I would consider to be a non-linear. No, not even that. I think linear, when you talk about GTA or Skyrim, I think, and I use the term linear, I think more in I'm terms really of like an actual... I'm really sorry that I brought this up now, I have to tell you. <laughs> uh, I, I think in terms of an actual like real world map as opposed to like a galaxy, which is, you know, a, a series of planets that... Anyway. That's almost um, exactly the same thing that I just said. It's not you even near anything like what you said. And said the exact same thing that I said. Uh, yes, that's, that's, that's what, that's what, I was going to say, that's what my people are getting. Um, uh, um, uh, do not, under any circumstances, make that the title of the show. Um, uh, I, I, cause I know your little tiny I gerbil is, twi- no is promises. twisting in your brain. Um, yeah, dude, I am, I'm, I'm really, uh, really enjoying the game. It's, it's, it is. Really compelling. I, I spent like an hour not doing anything but watching cutscenes. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't that long, and I was totally into it. Um, and would go do a mission, and it, I was totally into it. And then I spend thirty minutes like picking flowers. Um, uh, I know, I know how much picking flowers 
means to you as a gamer. It does. That, uh, uh, I am. Uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. I'm only like said ten or eleven hours in, and and I could see how this could be a a hundred hour game easily. And and, I, and I'll have more for you. Like I said, I can't. It's hard for me to speak to how large the game is because I feel like in the last couple hours, it's sort of. I've sort of had this realization that it's bigger than I thought it was, and therefore I feel unsure about uh, my, previ- my previously conceived notions about the size of this yeah. game. So uh, I might be able to speak to that better you know, n- 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 next week when I have more time to play it. But uh, for e- either way, it, just, it feels huge. I'm totally enjoying the narrative, which I, I wouldn't think I would in a game of this type, and, um, but I really am. The acting is fantastic. Uh, I'm getting into the combat more. I have a deeper understanding of the, of the stat stuff. And while uh, stats and uh, hardcore RPG stuff is not my jam necessarily, uh, I'm enjoying it. And, and it has just enough of like, you know, auto fill the points where I don't have to like play it too hardcore if I don't want to. Yeah. Um, when I don't feel like it. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it, man. So basically what you're saying is you're glad they nerfed it is, is pretty much what I'm getting here. No, I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad they gave us options. <laughs> also, I would like to point out that It Feels Huge is going to be the episode title. Just, uh, just so you know. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, it Feels Huge, quote, Lauren Baumgarten. Uh, um, <laughs> uh, what are we talking about? So that's Dragon Age Inquisition so <laughs> far. Totally enjoying else. it. Let's talk, let's talk about your games now, Brent. You have, I see you have a couple of games couple on here. mobile games, um, once again. I haven't... Uh, yes, surprise, uh, well, surprise. I really, really want to sit back down and finish Shadow of Mordor. That's kind of my... Um, you know, I, I, uh, There are people that are clamoring for a post-mortem I, on I that I want to do a post-mortem on it, and I've got to finish the game first, so I really need to you know, get back and, and finish that. It's just you know, it's a busy time. My daughter's first birthday is coming up later this month, and so... Uh, there's preparations and stuff to be done. I say preparations. Mostly it involves cleaning our house, which, you know, we, uh, we, we, we didn't do through the month of December because we were gone half the month of December, and now we got to do it. So uh, there's that whole situation to deal with. But anyway, my point is that uh, hopefully I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get back to Shadow of Mordor soon. In the meantime, uh, I, continue, uh, I continue getting my game fix uh, on El Mobile platform. Playing some Banner Saga on iOS. Uh, I'm, I'm working through that right now. I, uh, I can't overemphasize how good that game is on iOS. It plays really, really superbly and I think is really, really well suited, uh, which is probably by design. But uh, anyway, the point is that uh, somebody was asking me, and I'm sorry, I don't, uh, I can't for the life of me remember who it was now. And actually, I think that this might have, this might have been one of the last interactions I had with peeps over at uh, at Epic Battle Axe before uh, I, I started uh, neglect- <laughs> started neglecting that site and neglecting trying it. to trying to get all the. You're gonna do that? You gonna do that to Zeely if you have another child? Just just fuck it. Well, I mean, if you talk, if you talk to parents that have multiple children, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> um. So anyway, the point is that uh, somebody had asked me about playing the Banner Saga if I thought it was going to like look good or play good on a like on an iPhone 5s, um, and uh, and personally, I, I think that it does. I think that I think once you see the game uh, playing on the screen, I mean it, it's it's really really done well. The interface is great, and uh, I mean the graphics look you know really really fantastic. I'm playing on an iPhone 6, which has got a, a bigger screen than the uh, than the 5s does, um, and I, I I think it looks great. I, I'm I don't have any qualms about it now. Having said that, um, I'm really missing my iPad too at the moment because I would uh, I would love to I would love to play this on the iPad. I think it would 
I think it would look beautiful on a tablet. So uh, I think it's a hundred percent playable and enjoyable on a on a phone screen. But uh, if you have a tablet, it might be even better. So anyway, just I'll, I'll put that out there for anybody that that may have also been wondering about that question. Well, congratulations to the guys at Stoic. I'm I'm really happy to hear that. Actually, I, I not not that I doubted it, but I just uh, you know I'm such a big fan of the studio. Obviously, you know Alex Thomas is a friend of the show, and uh, uh, I'm really happy to hear that it's it's so good on iOS. It is. It, it's it's really really been a rewarding thing to kind of have games like that to you know to kind of pull out whenever you're uh, you know whenever you're looking for that mobile game fix. And yep. uh, then, as per my usual mobile game fix, Star Wars Commander, they just wrapped up another campaign that was actually uh, it was actually going on while I was uh, traveling for the holiday. And um, I have to say that I really I I think that I think that you know through the first year of the game and everything, I feel like they've really they've really kind of figured out what it is that they want to be doing with these campaigns and how to make them how to make them uh, compelling. To, to, to bring people back in and stuff. And, and I think I, I talked about this briefly, so I'll try not to repeat myself too much. But, uh, you know, they do unlocks during the campaigns. You can unlock certain vehicles and things like that, uh, that that you can only get through campaigns. And then furthering that, once you've got those vehicles unlocked, the only way that you can upgrade those vehicles is through a campaign. And so it, uh, it it's, it's cool because, you know, it, it, it's one of those things that you, you end up looking at... Uh, you look forward to the campaigns and you're curious, okay, well, you know, what vehicles are, what vehicles are they going to reveal this time? Or what vehicles will I be able to upgrade this time? And at first, I, a couple of the things that they've offered, I've not been too enthusiastic about. Like one of them is a, um, uh, one of them is a, uh, is, is a starfighter, which, you know, within the context of this game, you use starfighters for like bombing runs, you know, like strafe defenses or, you know, infrastructure, whatever, that kind of thing. And uh, they um, they had offered up uh, a couple of varieties, but there's this one starfighter that I wasn't terribly impressed with. Uh, it j- I just didn't really see like how I would use it for much of anything. But uh, during the course of this most recent campaign, which was a single player campaign as opposed to one of the big tournaments, uh, they they put you on a couple of missions using this starfighter, and it was good because it was kind of like, oh, like I, I get now how I would use this and why it would be advantageous and stuff. So, you know, they kind of use the campaign itself as a kind of a good selling point for why you might want to try and, you know, get enough points to unlock one of these and level it up and use it and, and that kind of thing. Um, so it's uh, it's just, just it's one of those things like I kind of see like how the game's evolving and I'm pleased. I'm really pleased with what they're doing so far. I just upgraded my base to level eight, which is the current maximum it can be. So now I've got to, you know, use my money to upgrade as many of the other things as I can as possible. And a, a bunch of like my facilities and stuff are now I can upgrade all those to level eight. I've unlocked some some new buildings and stuff I can build. So it's cool, man. It's uh, it, it's it, it's maybe an unlikely. Uh, maybe an unlikely game for me outside of it being Star Wars, but I look back on like when I started playing this earlier in 2000 or early in 2014, and it's uh, it, it's one of the few games that's really really managed to hold my interest in a long term way. I mean, I mean, you know, there's plenty of PC and console games that you know I wouldn't play on the regular the way I do this one. So they're definitely they're definitely doing something right uh, with this title, at least as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, they're doling out Jedi crack. <laughs> That's right. Well, I still, but you know what? I still, I still haven't spent money on it. Other than that, uh, 
I, you know, like, like that first $5 I spent, you know, like maybe a month or two in, I still haven't spent any more money on it. So it's whoever they're, whoever they're getting their, uh, their financing from, it's not me. That, have you ever played a game, Brent, called Star Wars Jedi Knight Jedi Academy? Uh, yeah, of course. That's that's one of the seminal. Uh, that's one of the seminal Jedi Knight uh, games, right there, buddy. So Rowan posted. I think I don't know if you oh, saw yeah, this yeah. post. Yeah, she's got it running on. Uh, looks like uh, like on Android. Yeah, I, I don't know if I, I don't know the deal. I haven't looked it up, and if it's on iOS or not. But it's it's running, uh, I guess, on Android. And so I, I I saw that and immediately thought like, oh, that I wonder if Brent and, and actually what, what what she wrote was so Star Wars Commander wasn't really fulfilling yeah. my mobile Star Wars needs or something like that. And, and then there's a picture yeah, of Jedi, it. So, Jedi Academy uh, would do it. You might want to you might want to check that out. Yeah, I have to see I have to see if it's on iOS. I don't know if it is or not. Yeah, uh, well, that's awesome, Brent. Well, I uh, I bid you a fond uh, week, Brent, as I enjoy my sunny vacation uh, on the coast of Brazil, and I look forward to hearing what everybody has to say about everything we talked about this week. As usual, it is time for us to turn it over to you and for you to jump on the hog. Maybe you should. Maybe that could be the title instead of how big it feels, nah, Brent. No, nah, not a chance. Damn it. Uh, All right. Either way, you guys, jump on the hog. Tell us what you think. Let us know what your thoughts are on everything we talked about. Star Wars Commander, the Banner Saga, Dragon Age Inquisition. Uh, Any of your thoughts on on what we talked about, CES 2015, or anything else that you've seen there that you think is interesting. Uh, And, of course, uh, what we were talking about when we were spending time in the garage, the PS4 sales being uh, uh, $18.5 worldwide at this point, which is just fantastic for all of us. The reveal of the Uncharted story over at GameInformer.com and or the six minutes of gameplay from Dying Light. Feel free to talk about that if for some reason it compels you to do so. Um, (laughs) Other than that, we all, as always, we thank you guys for being here. Uh, Pay no mind to Eeyore in the corner (laughs) over there. He is Brent Adams. I am Lauren Baumgarten. And remember, guys, ride it like you stole it.